meetings we let cameron in the room don't ask me why yeah really don't (laughs) and we're here to tell you that if you're afraid of the dark turn on the light yeah see there's a christian song in there that's what we should have done we should have had you singing this this little little light of mine mine. there you go why are we doing this well the light needs to shine in the darkness because the darkness cannot overcome it. Also, because this is how you get rid of the cockroaches. What cockroaches, you might ask? The, the answer is with the all <laughs> of them. When in doubt, get a bigger spotlight. This yes. is my motto in life. Yes. When in doubt, okay, two rules. When in doubt, get a bigger Bible. Uh-huh. When in doubt, get a bigger spotlight. I was just yeah. going to mention that. Yeah, that must be the second one, like right next to yep. the Bible. Yep. Spotlight, Bible. Well, you need the big spotlight so you can hit them with the big Bible. Right. See, they go hand yeah. in hand. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's not illegal to spotlight with Bibles. You can't spotlight with rifles, but you can spotlight with Bibles. There you go. Oh, it doesn't seem right. Yes, it does. You should be able to spotlight with a rifle, too. Yeah, well, but, but, you, but you can't make a law against spotlighting with the Bible because you have to be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Got it. There See, so there's go. no time when it's illegal to shine the light and whack them. Whack them. <laughs> in Jesus' name. Oh. And in oh, Christian love. Goodness. I can see the headlines now. Yeah, in Christian love. In Christian love, pastor in the name of Jesus whacks a man with his yes. big Bible. <laughs> now, and he was restrained when trying to find a bigger Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I want that stone one out in front of the Capitol. <laughs> they tased him five times. Sinner said he never saw it coming. There you go. It's my story, and I am sticking to it. You can't okay. tell me otherwise. We're already off the rails. Oh, we what rails? Started yet. We, haven't, we haven't seen the rails in months. Who are you kidding? Yeah, good point. Now, okay. why are we off the rails? We are off the rails because we are talking SBC, polity, politics, and all the other things that go in between. Uh-huh. Now, this is our third and final look at this, so we looked at the critical race theory garbage. We looked yep. at the um, issues of accountability with abuse and allegations and all of that. Yes. We didn't get any angry emails over that one. Go team. Yay. Yeah. And right. so today we're going to look at the really fun one. Okay. Not just denominational accountability, but individual accountability. Oh, we can't. Oh, that's that. the worst. Yes. Oh, yes. We can, we must, and we shall. Dun, da, da, da. Yeah, All right. Let's yeah. start off with something useful and productive. Sound good? Yes. Okay. James chapter one. If any of you lacks wisdom, oh, big time out. Because this is something we've got to cover when it comes to James, as I smack myself in the face with my microphone as I'm trying to move this where I can see everything. When James says wisdom, what does he mean? Knowledge from God. That is used rightly for God. See, that would be a good definition. Now, question. This knowledge from God, uh-huh. what, pray tell, would be the right use of this knowledge from God? What is the goal of this knowledge? God speaks just so we can have big pulsating brains like that thing in A Wrinkle in Time, right? Never seen that. It was a book. Oh, never read it either. <laughs> Come on, I've I've one of those Newberry medals. You're supposed to read that. Every good 
kid from the 80s had to have read that. No, if it had that little metal sticker, I'd, I'd avoid it. I forgot. You using... went to the poverty school. That's, <laughs> well, that's neither here nor there. One, but yeah, we kind of... ain't reading good at our school. <laughs> no, I avoided the books with the medals because every time I read a book that had those little star medals, all the different colors, the book ended up stinking. I hated the book. The dog died or the kid's father ran away or whatever. I was it like, prepared you for life. Like a country song. Yeah, Toughen up, Buttercup. Exactly. Yeah, it should be right up your alley. Country Western. Yeah. You had eight people in the front of a pickup truck. Yeah, exactly. True. <laughs> Story for another so day. No, what's but the yes. point of this knowledge? So that you would walk how? I In- smacked myself in my face <laughs> with my microphone again. <laughs> with God, rightly. Right. I mean, okay, big fancy theological term for that. Righteously? Nah, yeah, well, no. walking righteously, what do we call that? Think of your ordo salutis, people. Sanctification. There yeah, it is. Sanctification. There it is. The point of biblical knowledge is to attain biblical wisdom. The point of biblical wisdom is to walk faithfully in the path of sanctification. Yes. So when James is talking about wisdom, he wants you to be following God, trusting in him, and leading a life of godliness. He's talking about sanctified living. Okay. So if you lack this wisdom, what would be step one? <laughs> Ask God. Yeah, ask for it. Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. There's no qualifier here, because if you return to God in repentance faith, all who come to him, he is faithful to do what? Forgive. All that the Father gives to me, I will raise up on the last day. This Mm -hmm. is what Jesus is talking about. The Father will forgive, the Son will behold, the Spirit will empower, and look at this. Trinitarian theology, all at work at the same Mm. time. It's amazing. Yeah. So, if you are a knucklehead in the faith, stop being a knucklehead. How, pray tell, should I do that? Turn to God. Mm -hmm. Ask him to forgive your sins, strengthen you, and give you wisdom so that you may walk in newness of life. Because God desires your sanctification. That's 1 Thessalonians 4. He desires that you walk in his ways, that you walk in godliness. So if you are his child and you say, God, I'm blowing it down here. I need help. Guess what you shall receive? Help. If you do not receive help, then you have a Hebrews, what, 12 or 13 problem. Hebrews 12 problem, right? Hebrews 12, right? I didn't write it down. This is what happens when we go off the script. You get a Hebrews 12 problem, which Uh is you are not being disciplined, which means you are an illegitimate child. You are not his child because the father loves his children, and any child that he loves, he will also discipline. 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 Yeah, that's a proverb. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. So if you are not receiving discipline and wisdom from the Lord, worry, return to him in repentance and faith, and receive wisdom and discipline. It's amazing. It's like, and around, and around, and around, and around, and around, and around, and around. That's a scary place to be. Exactly. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. Well, why shouldn't there be doubting? I have doubts about everything. Like, I've been watching that Morgan Freeman thing on the National Geographic channel. Am I really here? Do we exist? If I don't look at you, you don't exist. See, I can't see you. You're not real. Say like something our sister and brother would fuss about Doesn't in the car. I'm not touching you. You can't touch me. I don't exist. Mom! <laughs> <laughs> he said I don't exist. You can John said me. I don't exist anymore. He's being made to me. He unpersoned oh, me. Oh, my goodness. Forget canceling Gen Z. We must unperson them. Ooh. They do not exist. It's even more. See, that's okay. When in doubt, get a bigger Bible. There you <laughs> no. Okay. Why do we ask without doubting? Because we have a mediator. Yeah. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? Who brings all those who come to him unto the Father? We have, I know the rain's coming to get us. We have a Christ <laughs> who is the way of salvation, who brings to the Father all who are his. He will raise them up in the last day. He will, he who began a good work, 
we'll finish we'll it. complete it. Yeah, they'll complete it. For the you one, done. see now here's your here's your koalifying clause. Mm-hmm. Your koala. What are we, an animal now? We have a koalifying clause <laughs> with eucalyptus. Just check and see cute. if people are listening. There you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> a rainy day. Can you tell? He We're must. All a- I, I need more coffee. <laughs> he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. This mm-hmm. is not going to be the last time you will see such language, nor is it the first time you have seen such language in your Bible, if you have been a faithful reader for your New Testament. Paul uses the same analogy in Ephesians 4. Mm-hmm. You are not supposed to be like this, but you are supposed to be what? Anchored. Mm-hmm. Solid. So that as the wind and waves carry you along and they carry the world, you remain firm. Jesus gives you the same example. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Mm-hmm. The water, the winds come, the the way the water rises, the waves crash, and what happens to the house? If it's on the nothing. rock, nothing. nothing. It's fine. But if you don't listen to Jesus, you build upon the sand. It's gone. Wash you away. Yeah, you're like the like dust a, in the Thanos snap. We just finished watching all those uh, movies again. And say like a cottage on the That's outer good. banks after You will hurricane. be good Kansas theology. You are gone. Dust in the wind. No all place like home. Dust in the wind. <laughs> that too. What was that? <laughs> no place like home. <laughs> no, no, that's Dorothy theology. Oh, yeah, but she or, in Kansas. In Kansas. Or wizard theology, which we can't have wizard theology because that would be evil. Y- yeah. <laughs> I read somewhere where that was wrong. See, oh. see. Okay. See, Lou over there with his Harry Potterness. Harry Potterness. <laughs> that's it. Go get the scales. We got to see if he weighs the same as a small rock. Because small rocks and ducks float. And if you float, then you're a witch. Oh, I get it. Mm, you're a witch. We got to burn you. Man, I should be a witch. How do you know she's a witch? Well, she's dressed like one. You put me in this. They dressed me like this. No, he didn't. Well, maybe the hat and the nose. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Watch oh. the movie. You will laugh hysterically. It will not do you good. No, it won't. But don't take it seriously. Please don't take it seriously. Now, here, for fun. Here is the flip side. For that man, the one who is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways, that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why not? Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, because you are doubting and toffed, toffed, tossed, tither, and fro. There you go. Uh-huh. I'm being... Uh, uh, King James, yeah. I need King James. Do I need pointed shoes in, in years? Yeah, we're going to be tossed, tither, and fro now. I'm in middle. I'm picturing that. <laughs> Little hat. What did you put feather. in your coffee this afternoon? I don't know. <laughs> creamer. <laughs> what was in the creamer? I think it expired. Eye of Newt. Okay. So that yeah. man, because he is tossed hither and fro like the sand, the surf of the yon. sea, he is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. Yeah. Therefore, he is, as Scripture would tell you, he is pursuing the broad path. Mm-hmm. He is not upon the narrow path. I just thought of a terrible joke, and I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to behave myself. See, see, see? He is not trusting in God. He is trusting in anything else. He is no longer anchored. He has gone askew. Not eschew, but askew. <laughs> Here to the and yon. Yes, he is everywhere. Now, that is not where the Christian is supposed to be. No. We can rewind all the way to the beginning and compare and contrast here. The Christian is supposed to be 
in wisdom, transformed by the renewing of the mind. Why? Because we have the faithful sacrifice. We have the work of the Holy Spirit. We have the building up of God. We have the mediator between us and the one whose wrath would abide upon our sin. We have all of those things. Therefore, we have been guided. We have a path blazed before us, and we can follow faithfully. Mm -hmm. I needed one more F for good alliteration, and I just didn't have it. That's okay. I tried. Sorry. I'm a bad Baptist today. Now, why do we point all of these things out as I'm hitting the wrong button on my tablet? Reason I'm pointing all of these things out is, yes, I was shorter than normal. Read James 1. It will do you very good. Mm-hmm. The reason we're pointing all of these things out is this is the basics of qualifications for Christians. This is not, James is not laying down Christian living for like the super duper groovy Christians, you know, with like the you know oh. the super friend Dakota rings. Yeah, the super spiritual ones. Yeah, the, no, oh, I could never be like them. This is for like general basic Christian one hundred and one. Uh-huh. You bear up under pressure, James one two through four, and after you have finished bearing up and you are seeing the fruit of your faith. If you are still struggling, it is because you are not living wisely. If you are not living wisely, it is because you are not being sanctified fully. Therefore, you need to. Ask of God, and he will faithfully give. This is basic Christian living. When you find your brother in sin, you go to him. Jesus told you this. James tells you this at the end of the letter again. (coughs) Paul goes over the same thing in Galatians 6. Okay. People rummaging. (laughs) All of these things are the case. Now. It's Charlie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I know. Just every time you hear something, and it's like the mice are getting bigger around here. (laughs) This is what happens when we don't have anywhere else to record, is we end up having to share space with other people. (laughs) So this is not just like, well, that's the qualification for the pastor or that's the qualification for the deacons or the other elders or the qualifications for, you know, you know, the grand poobah of whatever Christian organization you're running. But Paul didn't have Mm -hmm. subtitles and headings in his letters. He he, was writing to everyone in the church to hear. This is James. Don't cross categories on us. Yeah. And while they don't have the subtitles, in certain areas they are addressing things. So like when Paul needs to add additional characteristics for the elder of the mm-hmm. congregation he does that and he says hey for the one who desires the office of elder this is what he should be james isn't doing that james is mm-hmm. writing the, again this is one of those hills i'm dying on you ready okay. james james is the first letter written of the new testament i, I would agree between five okay. but there's argument that people like to put this one in the 50s and say galatians comes first because they put galatians at 49 and this at like 50 51 and i just think that's backwards i think galatians is 50 51 and james is 44 to 48 and I'm, I'm dying on this hill. I'm banging the table, no, and I'm I staying here. I, I, yeah, I would definitely agree. Yeah. So, But it's only a three-year difference. Do they really argue over three years? Have you met theologians? Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Never mind. I don't know what mind. the primacy really gives you, but it, yeah, yeah, I mean, what came first. Just, but, but you want to know what it gives me? I'm right. That's what it gives me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. No, for people who argue the yeah. other way around. Well, they, I don't, they, I don't they, know what, what... I don't either, but they, they because they will... In their defense, I don't think it gains them anything. I think that's how they they understand the data. I just think they're wrong. And when they get to eternity, they'll see that they were wrong, and then they'll repent, and it'll be okay. <laughs> you like to say that. I do. Yes, he we does. Do. He I'm enjoys like, saying that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's not easy being right all the time, but I bear my cross well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> is it good we have the air conditioning on today? It is. Yes, it's it is. Hot in here. <laughs> okay. So what am I rambling on about here? Well, one, I don't think I'm rambling, but two, this is basic Christian living. This is who James is writing to. He's writing to a church under persecution by Herod. So Herod has beheaded not the James who wrote the letter, which is the brother of Christ, but James, the one who didn't write the letter, who's the brother of John. 
So James is beheaded, 44 AD. Persecution breaks out against the church. That's when you'll see Peter arrested and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So this letter goes out to in and around the Jerusalem church to a church facing persecution. This is not a church full of pastors because they have apostles running around. They have people who they should be following. This is for, hey, this is how you live in the world. Okay? And it starts with living wisely, having knowledge that leads to wisdom having these things because they produce something in the believer that is of tangible benefit to the believer. Make sense? Makes sense. Okay. Why is that such a big deal? Because our third issue with the SBC annual meeting is that of our presidential election. We have more people. Okay. Just Charlie running around again. We had a presidential election. Now, background here. The SBC doesn't produce a ton of authority. No. So Mm -hmm. the only thing that the SBC president really does, well, he does two things. Well, this year he's going to do three things, but in a normal year he does two things. He presides over the annual meeting, so he gets the little hammer thingy and gets to go dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. And he gets to appoint the committee on committees. The committee on committees appoints the committee on nominations, and they appoint all the trustees. So if you put good people on the committee on committees, they appoint nominees that appoint trustees, which run our entities. It's layered like that intentionally. But as long as you put good people on the committee on committees, you get good trustees. That's really the only power. This year also, in line with the um, sexual abuse stuff we talked about a couple weeks ago, the president is appointing the committee that's going to oversee the investigation so that it will be independent. So gotcha. None of those are earth-shattering no. powers that are going to change anything from day to day. They're just kind of supposed to be like the representative. We don't necessarily follow them or do whatever they well, say. Well, that the becomes the issue from the world. From the world's perspective, they go, well, there's your guy. He's in charge of everything, right? Well, no, he's, he's in charge of like one thing. But from a worldly perspective, you can see the problem. Yeah. Right, they don't recognize that every Southern Baptist yeah. church Churches. is autonomous. No. Yeah. Full disclosure, we had four people running for the presidency this year of the SBC. Mm-hmm. Um, in order of fame, I guess you would go Al Mohler, mm-hmm. Mike Stone, Ed Litton, and Randy Adams. So Al okay. Mohler, president of Southern Seminary, Mike Stone, former president of the Georgia Baptist State Convention, and most recently the, um, the um, chairman of the Board of Trustees of the Executive Committee. Okay. Ed Litton, megachurch pastor from Mobile, Alabama, which one of these days I'm going to figure out why it's Mobile, and we drive an, an auto, you know, we drive an automobile, but then if you can get around real well, you're mobile. Don't pick a nit. Keep going. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> Stay focused. And no. My eye of Newt is wearing off. <laughs> and then Randy Adams is the... Um, executive director, some director of the Northwest Baptist Convention, which is the state convention of the three northwestern states. I think it's Washington, Oregon, and maybe Idaho gets thrown in there. There are so few SBC churches up there because there's really so few churches, period, up there that they can't justify a state convention for each one. So he's in charge of, like, all of them. Basically glorified church planting network at this point. Now, full disclosure, I tell you all that so I can tell you that in the first round of voting, because you have to have 50% to win election with four candidates, that's hard to do. Uh-huh. I voted for Randy Adams because Randy Adams' entire thing was I want to open every book and shine a light in every dark corner. Yes, I agree. And again, that's one of my spiritual gifts and one of my love languages. So when you tell me you want to shine the light in the darkness, I say, Shine it. Yes. Shine them. He didn't win. Okay. He didn't come close, did he? No, he didn't even come close. Yeah. Oh, People are like, so. we don't want Not to even do that a little much. bit. Um, it came down to a runoff between Mike Stone and Ed Litton. Okay. In the runoff, I voted for Mike Stone, and Ed Litton won. Okay. 
no skin off my back. Ed Litton, if you asked me, was the wokest of the four candidates. So he is the most in line with the critical race theory, the racial reconciliation. What's the word I'm looking for? Repent of your whiteness. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying that he's full-blown, you know, in that camp, but he's, he's more that way than the other three would have been, if that makes any sense. We're talking about varying degrees He's here. more sympathetic to the cause. Yes, and that makes me nervous because I've seen too many people that are sympathetic to the cause that mm-hmm. end up marching oh, as good foot soldiers, foot soldiers in the cause and yeah. become the useful idiots that the communists need. So. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so, so he's more on the left. He's far. He's With that, yeah. I thought the majority of this conversation when I originally laid this out was going to be about that avenue of the political discussion. Mm-hmm. It's not. Because that's like the third biggest issue we've got now. (coughs) The first one was the day of the election, where it was posted. Someone went to the, uh, what is it, Redemption Church? Is that the name of it? It's got one of those fancy names. I I think think it's Redemption Church or something like that. that, Um, Redemption Church's website has a statement of faith. And like all mega churches, their statement of faith is empty at best. Like it's, it's bare bones. Yeah. So their statement of faith said that we believe in – their statement under God is we believe in God, well, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal parts of God. That's not right. To quote the great Lutheran satire, that's partialism, Patrick. That's yeah. literally a heretical understanding of God. That's been debunked. Many how, how, how does that happen with a megachurch that has a preaching team and multiple pastors on staff with a guy running for SBC president that you don't think maybe we want to peruse things like the doctrinal statement on our website before I put myself in public eye? You would think people would look that up before he started. To make for. sure, like, rank heresy isn't actually on, <laughs> on the list. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, look, I'll be the first person to admit that the Trinity is a, is a bug to explain. It is. It's, I mean, it's you hard and I to wrap your mind around. And it's, it's one of those things that um, it's a primary doctrine. Yes. However, but you can understand. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> understanding it perfectly would mean you would be God. perfect in your understanding. Yes. And, you're, and we're not. I, I, it's one of the ways I'm, God made sure you had to have faith. On my teaching notes from when I first did the when I first taught through the Trinity as a youth pastor, so you're talking trying to teach 13 to 20 year olds. When I first went through it, my last point on my teaching notes was this makes no sense mm-hmm. because that was one of the things I wanted to get across to the kids was we can explain this as best we can based on the revelation we have in Scripture. But at the end of the day, my finite brain looks at this doctrine and goes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, because I can't categorize it. I can't. And, and as I've said before on Sunday mornings, that's a good thing, because if I could, that would say we've invented God. But I have a God that is beyond my understanding. It's, this is how he has revealed himself. Yeah, it's a complex unity and, and people, they trip over it. And a lot of left, right, know, center. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and the enemies of the church, they like to use this doctrine. Oh, yes. To try and, I don't know, plant doubt in people who aren't quite is understanding of it as, as they well, should be. And it's, and it's unfortunately yeah. easy to do because so many of the so many of the Christians that you know claim to be Christians struggle with this for that very reason because they look at this and go, well, I can't make sense of it. I can't explain it. Therefore, uh, it can't make any sense. Well, no, it does. We're not you infinite just in, our, in our ability to comprehend Agreed. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, all of that said to say this, you can avoid the obvious problems. 
So, like, I pointed out that Lutheran satire video with Donald and Connell because, one, it's hysterical. If you've never seen Donald and Connell talk to St. Patrick, go go watch it. Yeah. You'll laugh hysterically, and you'll learn theology mm-hmm. because they go through why you don't want to be a modalist, which is God appears as different manifestations, but he is only a unity. So, in other words, God reveals himself as Father, and then he reveals himself as Son, and then he reveals himself as Holy Spirit. And they explain why that's bad. You also don't want to fall into the uh, example of partialism. And if you want to know what partialism is, think through any example just about that you have been given from the natural world to explain the Trinity. Like steam and water. And, and huh? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Or like the flame where... You know, the the light is the father and the flame, or the flame is the father and the light is the sun and the heat. smoke is the whole, yeah. or the heat is the Holy Spirit or something like that. Those are those are They're all parts. part of fire. That's partialism. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All of this is bad. the The shortest answer to what has historically been accepted is one God, three persons. So one essence, being substance of God. That was one of the biggest arguments in the early church is the essence. And the reason why it was such an issue and the reason why the language becomes so difficult and the reason why I don't strangle anybody for using, that's why I say one being, one essence, one substance is because when you get to Nicaea and then later on into Chalcedon, what they're really debating is not the nature of God, but the understanding of the Greek language. Yeah, homoousia. Yeah, because well, what they're really debating is, uh, in some instances, are um, Aristotelian and Platonic categories and how they manifest themselves in Greek. And the problem you have, not just in Nicaea, but even worse in Chalcedon, is that the Eastern Church speaks Greek, and so they are a little bit more precise in their usage of the language, where the Western Church is already moving to Latin. Therefore, they are they, the way they're translating the Greek into Latin is allowing for different categories of thought and words, and so they don't think the Greek is as precise. So that's why you're seeing the argument that you see. Okay. Well, that in the Koine Greece was Greek was a was a form of the language that was used to unify. Yes. You know, uh, well, and that's Alexander's why the New Testament, Empire. The New, the New Testament what, is is precise in this, yeah. but our our exposition and explanation of this is imprecise because it's, it's limited by nature. Right. So that's why I say one being of God, one essence of God, one substance of God. So one godness of God. Right. And, and then there's, you know, I don't know. It, it, you can get into the Hebrew too, you know, like mm-hmm. echad. Which is even worse because Hebrew is even less precise. <laughs> well, but echad does not mean an absolute one. Agreed. Yihad does. And that's, but that becomes the difference. So that's what I'm saying, was we have this presented to us clearly in Scripture, but we can't mm-hmm. explain it. So within this one essence being substance godness, we have three persons, mm-hmm. because this is what is shown to us. You see this in the Old Testament, where you will basically see the Father commanding, and you see the Son as the angel of the Lord carrying out. And then you also hear, you have writings about the Spirit of the Lord at work. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon David. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. Those are not physical manifestations of the Son, but they are descriptions of the work of the Spirit. So you have the Father sending the Spirit, and then you have the Son appearing and doing His work. So you have this, you don't have it explained, you have it demonstrated in Scripture. All of that to say, if you're going to run for the presidency of the SBC, you should pretty surely tighten up your doctrinal statement on your website. Yes. And it shouldn't have absolute rank heresy that you can read. Like it's not like it's not like what T D Jakes tried to pull a few years ago in the Elephant Room too, where he's like, Well, you say persons, but I prefer manifestations. And then he did a little, you know, 
he did a little bob and weave explanation on how manifestations and persons equal the same thing. And, you li- and you're listening to it going, I think he's talking about the same thing, but I'm not sure. When you literally put down on your website, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal parts of God. That immediately, as soon as I read that standing in the convention center, I went, that's heresy. Like, you didn't have to think about it. You didn't pull a brain cell. You didn't strain a synapse. You just read it and went, that's a problem. All right, that right there should tell you that something is amiss here, that we are not operating in wisdom. Then come the stories. To number two. And this is where this gets interesting. Headline from Newsweek. Not Christianity Today. Not the Christian Post, not Barna, not Lifeway Research, not, you know, Baptist Press or any. Newsweek. Okay. Pastor Ed Litton removes over 140 video sermons after being accused of plagiarism. Whoa. See, That's this, a lot of sermons to this remove. This started with his Roman series. Yeah. Got to get rid of the evidence. Well, I'm sorry. Wow. The first rule is you bury the body where no one can find it. Yeah. Come on well, now, everybody running. knows this. He should have thought. Well, this well, is no, the, hang, 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 hang. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. This started. <laughs> this started a few years ago after J.D. Greer. I think it was after J.D. Greer became president of the SBC, and he was preaching through Romans. And mm-hmm. if you're going to preach through Romans, you're going to deal with Romans one. We're going to do Romans next year, so I think it'll be fun. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I think I have that on the schedule. Um, and when he got to the all the vice listings at the end of Romans 1. He talks about how the Bible screams about all of these sins, but it whispers about sexual sin. What? Which is, which is an asinine statement in and of itself. Yeah, because the Bible doesn't But you know that. what? When you listen to his argument, and I listened to the whole sermon just so I could hear it in context, I understand the argument. I disagree with it, but it doesn't make him a heretic. Okay? Under, made, agreed? Yes. That doesn't. Okay. okay. Agreed. All right. Well. The problem you have with Ed Litton is when he preached the Romans last year, year before last, I don't even remember when. I don't care. He literally used the exact same language. Not similar language, the exact same language. Would you like to know why they removed 140 sermons? Okay. Yes, I would. Yeah, why? Because somebody started doing the research. Ed Litton plagiarized Tim Keller's Sermon on Marriage. Oh. This is one of the sermons that, I don't think this one was removed, but this is why they removed a bunch of sermons. Because as people started digging in, you start realizing, wait a minute, I haven't just heard parts of that before. I've heard large chunks of that before. Okay. So this is something here. I have a little, I have a little bit of, a, of an input on this. Don't answer this, Cameron. We'll see if Loon. All right. We, I end every episode with what has become my catchphrase in this church. Read your Bible. It'll do you good. Is that original to me? Not really. No, you're just... Take, making a play on words, you know. Now Drink I can milk it'll uh, it does the body good. Well, it's part of it, but I, I, Cameron, you know that that is not an original phrase with me. Who is it original to? From what I remember, my daddy used to tell no, us. No, no, no. no. Do you? He no. said, daddy used to tell me go Read on the Leviticus, church. It'll, it'll do you good. good. Oh, it's one of your seminary professors, Doctor Frank Cadenzaro. Cadenzaro. I was thinking hog. Little goofy Italian Cadenzaro. man yeah. from South Carolina. Put that. Put Most that together. Italians are that way. Yeah. Little and goofy. Yeah. He was. He Just was look awesome, at me. Though. Actually, he looks a lot like you. Only less gray. He wasn't quite as old. He's a little hairy. Now though. he is. Thank I'm you. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Looks like. Wait a minute. Twenty years ago, you would have made a perfect Cadenzaro. You've been right the size and everything. I yeah. Made a perfect anything. Twenty Cad- years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Who's like, I'll settle for anything good here at this point. I'll take whatever compliments you're dishing out. But yeah, he, yeah. Well, Dr. Catanzaro was an interesting character. He he was. Dr. Catanzaro had the same affliction that I have. What's that? 
You're one, we're Italian. Italian but yeah. two. <laughs> Toss with their hands. Like, I can, we can both do this. I can remember the Bible verse. Oh, yeah. So it's one of those things, like, earlier. So yes. Like, so, and yes. I've gotten better at this because I use them more often. But So I can remember what the verse is, and I can quote it to you. But I can't remember where the stinking verse is. So it's not like so it's not like I can look at you. Well, John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world." I'm one of those people that's like, well, God, it says that God so loved the world. Now, where is that in the Bible? It's in, it's in John. It's like okay, somewhere between John two and nine. Read John; it'll do you good. And that's what Doctor Catanzaro came up yeah. with as a defense mechanism because he couldn't remember the exact reference, but he could narrow it down into a section. So it's a defense mechanism. So he'd be like, "It's yeah. in, it's in Exodus like fifteen or something like that." So read the book of Exodus; it'll do you good. And I'm like, "That is so brilliant." Uh-huh. So I started borrowing that because I have the same problem. If I don't write down the exact <laughs> reference, I yeah. can remember the verse, but I don't always remember exactly where it is. And for the longest time, I, I'll, I'll attribute that. And I'll, I'll periodically I will tell that story so that people know that it's not original. Now, again, am I ripping off Catanzaro with that? No. No. Do I periodically remind people that it came from him so they don't think I'm so brilliant I came up with it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you do you can go back to yeah. old sermons, and if you listen to all the sermons, which if you do that, they will do you good. You will you will hear periodically I give attribution to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you That's never a little different than taking one of Dr. Catanzaro's entire sermons, lifting entire bullet points and preaching through the whole thing. Likewise, if you have a study Bible and you're short-pressed for time and trying to work through a sermon, would I think you're evil if you took the outline from your study Bible to help organize your text before you preach through it? No. Not Definitely really. not. No. But if you're going to publish no. it, you have to source it. Uh, uh, now, if you, you publish go. the outline, yeah. yes. But on a Sunday morning, and I'm trying to think if I've ever done this, and I don't think that I have. See, if I've done have a- I borrowed to help me organize my thoughts and looked at what their outline was and then helped outline it myself? Yes. But have I ever taken the outline completely and then formulated my own points off of the outline? Because all an outline is is always an organization of the text. Yeah. If a, if a pastor did that in a sermon, would I say he's plagiarized his study Bible? And the answer is No. And that's not what I think Lytton is doing because Lytton isn't just borrowing outlines. He's borrowing entire segments. Copy, paste. Yes. Type of stuff. Just So like some freaky. of the examples are, are pushed in here. So like here, I'll read this to you. A review of the audio of Keller's sermon posted on YouTube and the video of Ed Lytton's sermon posted online but recently hidden by the church. Because people were going, I'm sorry, this is why they cut it, because people were going through sermons in an attempt to discredit and malign our pastor. That's why the church said. So this is what Keller said. Listen, Listen to this. This is Keller. It is the ability to hear criticism without being crushed. That's a lack of a self-defense nestle. Secondly, the ability to give criticism without being crushing. Thirdly, the ability to forgive people without residual anger. In other words, to forgive people and really let go. Here's Ed. First, the ability to hear criticism or correction without crushing. Second is the ability to give criticism or correcting without crushing. And third, or lastly, the ability to forgive without lingering anger. That sounds like what I used to do in high school when I first started writing papers is, all right, that's what they said. That's the answer. Put it in your own words. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm going to change like two or three. Instead of using the word first, I'm going to say, at the beginning, you do this. At you the s- middle, you do this. And the last part, you do this. To You're supposed to. Yeah, you but still you can, have to give credit. But you credit, can like, see how a high school student at a redneck school that doesn't really care would think that they didn't, you know, plagiarize anything. Yeah, exactly. Well, see, we're told to put it in see, our own See, that's not offensive. She knows. Yes, she I knows do exactly know. what I'm talking I about. I, I, I'm completely honest. <laughs> I have one word education. for most of her high school. It's, it's unqualified. 
<laughs> yeah, and they've had no. issues. So, but yes, I'm not, yes. I'm not being mean here. I'm being accurate. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> I was in a very safe school. Yeah. Which, so, was the, which, which in was our area was thing. very much an important thing for the area but I was in. Would you call it academically my, robust? Yeah, no. They can't spell robust or academically. They actually have the handbook spelling wrong. Oh, wait. No, no, no. <laughs> in the no. handbook that See, you See, you won't catch out. this one, but well, well, yeah, you might I catch this one. It. I went off one day. Yes, she, she, she and I my were dating, was so she was board. like a junior in high school. My parents were on the board, too. she brought home her annual student handbook, and just for giggles, I was reading through it. Yeah. I'm going, wait a minute. It actually says in here that one of the things that they endeavor to do is to teach their students to read good. Okay. Not proper English. No. Well. Yeah. Yeah. The that's, word that's is well. Well. Yeah, well. Not, yeah. We want them to read and write good. That's actually what it said. Yes, it is. In it, the student they handbook. They changed it. Learned them it good. took them three yeah. years. <laughs> I, was, I yes. read that. I'm going, you've yes. got to be kidding me. Look, guys, I don't expect perfection here out of a small private school handbook, but... There are English teachers in this school. You would think somebody would have understood that you used the word well, well or properly or adequately or sufficiently. I mean, I keep good. going here, but no, they, we want them to read good. Yeah. And next they got to learn the math. <laughs> Let me learn you something. I've been with, told that with several times. counting and numbers and everything, y'all. Anyway. Not the use of your toes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have those anymore. We blew them off with a shotgun. <laughs> Dynamite. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah. back on the rails. Anyway. Back on the rails. So, yeah. I that, understand I, that's that. Just now, is that academic? Re- no, that's not. No, no, that's what not you're any- talking about, what oh. you did, is that academic plagiarism? And the answer is yes. In yes, an academic in setting, academic that is plagiarism. Setting, yes. They didn't care. And I get why they didn't care. They were just trying to get you to research and read something. Yes, it's beginning. Now, later on, you go, wait a minute. All you now, did was change two words. For a count, sermon, but, yeah. if you find out that I'm just downloading sermons and then piecing together other 12. people's points no. with my own words, am I doing the work? No, you're just no. rewriting somebody else's work. How in tarnation does that bring us full circle back to James? <coughs> because Christian living demands wisdom based on knowledge so that we can walk in sanctification. If you're not doing well, the work, you that's what the Greek word in that passage is referring to is acquiring the wisdom or the understanding of what what or who God is. Yes. Right. Yeah, if you're not so that studying, you will you're be not doing it. redeemed so that you will have been saved and you will continue to be saved so that you will be saved. You will continue to walk faithfully. That's what's going on there. Mm-hmm. If the quote-unquote leader of the congregation is unable to do that, he can't lead. Is it wise to plagiarize sermons? No. Forget the ethical implications. Which is it? A, is it ethical? And the answer I, is no. I don't understand no. how that how that happens. I I don't know the guy very well, so I don't know what his background is. I don't know what his education is. Doesn't matter. If he's but, pastoring a church, he should be more qualified than this. Exactly right. I mean, how does that? How does something like that happen? He's intellectually dishonest is what it is. Well, that's what it boils down to. Oh, I yeah. get it if you're busy and you've had a really bad I, week. I have, I have stuff in multiple the same places. Time, I just remembered I had honest. something else set aside. Be honest about it. Yeah. You ready for this one? You'll like this one. This is an interview from November of 2020 and when Ed Litton admits and laughs that he used to lie about his sermon prep time. I used to lie. I used to tell people 24 hours a sermon, but I would say 8 to 10 hours on average. That's recently, it? recently I, pre- I preached a sermon where I opened with a story of a Roman soldier that I made up. Okay. He's being honest about it. I mean, 
He's tell that was in yeah, 2020. I, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, yeah. See, I don't I don't fault the I eight to ten hours you. thing. I think Enough. I'm under that. I'm probably under that. If I if I was honest, okay, hang on, let me think. <clears throat> well, no, if you now if you stop hang and actually count when you when no, you no, bring down I am, the I am, book I am. beforehand, I'm gonna, that takes so, days. I, no, it doesn't. To outline to out, I'm talking about just the sermon prep. So to uh, outline like the no. passage uh-huh. okay. is probably a, a 20 minute process. Just just to outline the passage, you know, organize it into headings and subheadings. That's probably 20 minutes. To then go through the research phase where I check cross-references and really start to dive into it and figure it out, consult commentaries after I've done my work on it is probably hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And so we're up to, we'll just round off and say we're up to two hours. The manuscripting where sometimes more stuff gets added, sometimes something that I thought was a good point comes out, that's probably another half an hour just to make my, my outline that I, that I carry with me, my initial outline. So we're up to two and a half hours. And then it's review during the week. That's probably a couple hours where I will just continually go through it, think on it, you know, present it in my brain. Okay, though that needs to be said this way, and I'll make handwritten notes on my printed manuscript. Because it's not a manuscript. It's, ba- it's just a sermon outline. The, the manuscript is in my head. And so that's probably a couple hours. So up to what? Four? And then final manuscripting, preparing outline for the congregation that goes in the bulletin and all that. So we're probably at five, six-hour process. At most, well, that's what you count as sit down and well, that's sermon on. prep. And I'm, but, but I'm talking about, but even when I'm going through it in my brain, you got to remember, once I've established this is this is why I put things in writing, because if I have established an outline and it's logically coherent, once I've gone through it about three or four times, it's in my head. Yeah, oh, that is contemporaneously, true. You yeah, can, that is true. You're like that. I can go through it like I could stop right now and go through my <clears throat> sermon for Sunday in my head because I've gone through it enough times, and I could pull it up on the Bible. I could pull up my Bible on my phone and read the passage, and have and I can see my notes in my head. Gotcha. So I don't have a photographic memory for everything, but if I write and make notes, I will see those in my head. Hmm. So I'm probably at most a six-hour sermon prep during the week. I don't feel bad about that, though, because i got to do sermon prep for Sunday morning and Wednesday night and a Sunday school class. And <laughs> no, but you've also been doing it for several years. That's true. Well, and, it's only, and, it's, and it shortens also as I get into a book because you're not yeah. doing – so, like, when you first start a book, that's probably closer to 10 hours because you've got to do a lot more background and, and research. Also, for what we're doing now in Exodus, it's a little shorter because I'm not, we're not moving. So like if you're in a gospel where Jesus is in Capernaum one week and we're in Galilee somewhere else the next week and then we're in Judah, you've got to do a little bit more background to make sure you're understanding the travels and the movements and how does this line up with the other gospels. So that process will get expanded there. Letters sometimes are even more expanded because you've got to make sure you're understanding your audience and all of that. So when people tell me, they're like, well, it takes me 20 hours for sermon. I, that, that blows my mind because I, I, I would lose my mind. I wouldn't be able to fit 20 hours worth of stuff in an hour <laughs> in, in, a, in a single sermon. So I don't fault him for the time. But what I fault him for is if you come to me and ask me how long my sermon prep is, I'll give you the same rundown I just gave. I won't say, oh, it takes me at least, you know, at least 24 hours. No, and I stretch that time out over days intentionally because that's how my brain works. So that allows yeah. me to get other stuff done. But it's the fact that you're willing to sit there and laugh about it and say, well, you used to tell people it was 20 hours, but it's really about eight. You're a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's There's not. not another word for it. You're literally lying to people to try to make yourself look and sound better for what your job. What was the job. other thing he said? Oh, he made up an entire story. Yeah, so, so he told a story about a Roman soldier that he just completely made up. 
Now, if you want to make up a story, that's fine. I've done this on a Sunday morning. Hey, I got an idea. I just, I literally just popped it in my head and I made it up. Right, I've, I've done that. Yeah. I've said what that. What if? Yeah, here's an that. example that yeah, I just made up. A hypothetical yeah, example. It's a hypothetical. You're yeah. Not, yeah. It, you're not trying to put it forth as yes, something that really happened. Yeah. yeah, he did. Here's a story from Ron Soder that I just made up. And now I can't trust what you're telling me because now See I have to problem? go back and review that's, whatever me, that's time you tell me a story. Right yeah. There. Yeah. Because did you really say that? Flubbing there. What else are you flubbing about? Yeah. Well, see, you'd have you have to start to me, wondering, well, I don't promise you? I won't tell anybody. It's comes between you and I. Can I trust it's going to be just between you and I? Because well, not just that. Can I trust anything you tell me? Stand up in public and tell anything truthfully. Well, can he's you a teacher. You? He's, well, he's supposed to be teaching, and he yeah. and he's lying, and, about, and people yeah. are getting misinformation. And and how are you? He, how is that a foundational Mm-mm. aspect of your faith? It's not. You're building it on the sand. Not now here you go. This is one of the things when asked about his sermon prep since all of this has come out, he talks about, and this is not unusual in large churches. I wouldn't do it, I don't care how large the church is, but this is not unusual in large churches, mm. is they have a team. And he's talking about they, they'll sit down and they'll work through the languages, which I laughed out loud when he said that, but they'll work through the languages and they've got, so basically what you'll do is you get an intern that does some research and you get everybody, so you get like six, eight people in a room and everybody reads it and does a little research and they come together and hash it out and come to an understanding about how they want to, how they understand the text, and then come to an understanding about how you want to present the text. My thing is, again, I don't like that system, and I'll come back to why in a minute, but if that's your system that you go through, and then you end up plagiarizing other sermons, what are you people doing? Yeah, who are you the people? Team full of you got a team that, full huh? of liars. Who, who, who's the now, one doing this to Now, you? here's why I have an issue with that system. you're not even system. checking it. All right, Bible trivia time. You ready? Well, one, your church is too big if you have no time to do your work. He's not that busy. <laughs> the, most learn this lesson well. A lot of pastors are liars. And you know what they're liars about? Hmm. How much they have to do during the day and during the week. Yes. I'm yeah. one of the few that will tell you when I've had a busy day and then when I've had a not busy day or week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are weeks when it's like, I just want to go home. I don't want to talk to another human being. Yes. And I then agree. there are weeks where it's like, I probably should have done some more stuff. Yeah. So there are it there are times in ministry where you can hide, and just being honest, you can hide mm-hmm. because you don't have as much accountability as you would in say an office job, in, in most churches. I mean, if your church has twenty seven staff members, then yes, there's a little bit more. But can you hide? Yes. Yeah. So what what makes sure that you're diligent to do your work and your research? Your you're, integrity. Your integrity. You're answering to God. Yeah. Now, that's one. But the second thing is, okay, here's your Bible trivia question. You ready? Take into the recesses of your brain. What in the qualifications laid out by Paul is the demarcation qualification between pastors and deacons? The ability to teach. Deacons are servants. Pastors are supposed to be able to teach. They're almost identical. Yeah. So, yeah, they're very yeah, they're But very what separates the, the elder has one qualification that the deacon does not have. And you're right, it's able to teach. Yeah, because yeah, deacon itself, word means servant. So yeah. anybody the deacons can are serve. The God, deacons in your church are godly men yes. doing the work of the church to strengthen the body, to, to build up people, to do the physical work, to do all of those things. But when you get to a place where I'm an elder of the church, I'm doing all of that, and I can teach. Yeah. What keeps the deacons from going off the rails? It's the teachings of the elder. Uh-huh. What keeps the elder from going off the rails? It's his ability to dive into the word, mm-hmm. understand it, apply it, and then explain Explain it. So you have to sit down in a room with eight other people in order to understand a passage of Scripture? 
You don't know. You're, you're not, not qualified. You're not doing your yeah, Bible we, work. One of the first classes that I took at Liberty had to do with the scholar and the pastor. Mm-hmm. And the issues that we are facing in the church today were scholarship just isn't it's there. It's gone. It's gone. Uh-huh. And, and we need that. Yeah. We need that because... It, without it, you, you see what you just described is a, is a rank plagiarism, and and now they're trying to cover it up. And but I mean, we don't want a guy like that as president of our organization. Agreed. But he's there. Yeah. Agreed. And I'm glad we're autonomous because so he doesn't really have that much no uh, uh, effect on us. Other can, than, yeah. holy smokes, this is the guy representing our organization. Yes, we're Southern Baptists. And, no, this, is one of those, is and this is one of those reasons why you're glad we're we autonomous and yes, why we have that how right. we identify and organize is so important. Because this is insanity, though, yeah. that you can ascend to an office like this to, with this much visibility that, I mean, in years past, you know, SBC presidents have been on cable news, have been on Larry King. They, you know, they can write op-eds for major newspapers because they can command an audience. Because when they speak, they speak for supposedly 15 million Protestants in the United States. Yeah. That's a platform. I mean, I can't call up somebody and be like, hey, I'd like to get, uh, you know, a spot on your podcast. Or I'd like to get an opportunity to speak to your congregation. Because they're like, well, who are you? Right. This, this unqualified liar could uh-huh. call Fox News tomorrow. And be like, hey, I'd like to do a spot. He should call CNN. They lie more. And he'd he get one. Better. They'd give him one. I mean, yeah. provided he lines up with what they want to talk about, but they would give him one. They're not giving me one. What separates him from me? The office that he holds. Certainly. And uh-huh. he attained it, though, by what means? See, this becomes you know, the that... issue. So I mean, let me go back, though, to, to the able to teach. Uh-huh. I mentioned that I'll use commentaries. Typically, when yeah. I preach through a book, I'll buy two commentaries from that book, you, you know, especially if I can find ones that I know are, are trustworthy. You know, I'll go through the list and try to narrow down what's, which, what I, which I think would be good commentaries. You know when I don't read them? When you're first outlining them. When I first, I outline the passage, and then I go through the passage with just my Bible. And then, before I start working on my manuscript outline, I will then look at a commentary. And I'll even do you one better. There have been times when my commentary has told me something about passage, and I've said... No. no. Yeah. I true. disagree. And here's why I disagree. And you say that in your sermons, too. Typically, I yeah, will. You'll, yeah. you'll notice there are some commentaries that say such and And there such. are times when I've gone, you know why. what? I didn't see that, and I should have. The yeah. commentary is not there to give me the answer. It's there to check me because sometimes my brain isn't in the place it's supposed to be. I, I see the commentaries and the lexicons and, the, you know, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm as a, a, a stepping off point to enter into a conversation. Yeah. They're not in and of themselves the end word Agreed. on the matter. The yeah. end word is is the scripture. Which uh, is why rightly I can, understanding it. Which is why yes. I can look at them and say, no, I disagree with that conclusion because right. I support this conclusion. But you know what I better be able to say after that? Why? Why? Exactly. <laughs> what right. are the verses? And, if I can, and that has happened to me before where I've come to a place and then I've looked at a couple commentaries and gone, you know what? I just don't feel good about the ground I'm standing on. I think I can justify this, but I don't feel real good about it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to retrace my steps here, and then I will borrow a little bit more from the commentary. You know why? Because I went off the rails somewhere. And that, be, that historical understanding is a check and a guide to me. Right. And that's what it's supposed to be. Right. We are not slaves to history, but we use it because I've, you've heard me say this. If you're the first person in 2,000 years to think of something, you're wrong. Yeah. The Bible's been around for a while. If you're, if you're like, ah, I got this out of this passage of Scripture, 
no one else in the history of the church has ever written that idea down from that passage of scripture. And if you probably look, you probably find where it was written down, and then it was completely demolished. And then someone got a bigger Bible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) because several stuff would just call it a different name. Because you have these different minds and voices talking about a a topic, and it is a benefit. But again, like I said, that's not the end all. Uh-huh. You have to be able to think for yourself based off of what? Your previous understanding, because you're rightly divining the word of God and studying it. See, and I'll, I'll do you one better. When it comes to Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and you have, and this will be something during your time that you have been a member of a church that I have been pastoring. Between Sunday morning and Wednesday Bible studies, I have done sermons and Bible studies with books that I've had commentaries for, and I've done sermons and Bible studies with books that I have not had commentaries for. Could you tell me the difference? I couldn't. Because the work is the same. Mm -hmm. I don't need the commentary. Is it a benefit to kind of check my work and kind of gauge myself against history? Yes. The biggest thing I use the commentary for is the historical background stuff. Yeah, Like when Samuel says that, you know, when first Samuel says we're in such and such in Israel, I'm like, where in tarnation is that? And I run, rather than do 27 hours of hunting around on Google, I can go to my mm-hmm. I can go to my commentary and he's and he can show me the research where he found that from because the commentaries quote the historical books that they've consulted and like okay I trust that and I can go with it. That's the other thing I should probably mention. That's the other thing that really speeds up my sermon prep time. Why it's as short as it is because I don't have to hunt down Bible references because of that brain block that I've got. I can remember what the verse is, and I'll actually just start typing it into Google and hit enter, and it'll tell me what the reference is. That yeah. saves me hours of yeah. hunting through my Bible <laughs> trying to find something because I can literally ask Google, be like, where does it? So it's like you can go to Google and like spare the rod, spoil the child, and Google will tell you that's in Proverbs, you know, uh-huh. whatever. Where my, is, yeah. my brain goes, it's in Proverbs, read the book of Proverbs, it'll do you good. <laughs> Google tells me exactly where it is so that I don't, or I can remember a concept. Yeah. Like, I did that this past week. Like, there's a verse that says something about um, keep sin far from you. And I couldn't remember where it was. I, I couldn't remember that. I couldn't remember I what book that. it was in. Yeah. So rather, now, if I had to go hunt for that, there's 20 minutes out of my day, as I smack my microphone again, 20 minutes out of my day as I'm hunting around for it. I go to Google and say, keep sin far from you. And it then tells me, like, three different places. And then I type into Bible Gateway. All of those, and then I find the one that I'm looking for because I read and go, that's the one my brain was thinking about, and then I can read the context and grab what I need. That speeds up my process immensely. If I was a pastor 150 years ago, my six hours would be 15 to 20 because I would have to go digging for all of that stuff myself. Now it wasn't there for you. Yeah, Yeah, the internet makes my life much easier. Thank you, Google. Exactly. (laughs) But don't ask Google, what does it mean? No, that no, no. might be a different story. Google where just tells me where it is. It? I'll tell you what it means. Yeah, yes, I got exactly. a really fancy Bible software, and I almost always refer to Google first because sometimes the software isn't. It's just easier. It, yeah. It's easier. Isn't as fast as Google. And that's half of it. So, again, I point this out because if I can do this, little old me who's never been in a church of more than 200 people who, while I'm not an idiot, I am not the most brilliant person on the planet. If I can do this... By yourself, not with eight people helping you. Why do you need a congregation full of researchers, Mm -hmm. and then you're still stealing from other people? Yeah. And making up stories and lying. And the answer is, you're borrowing from the world too much. It's too much about the presentation and not enough about the information. You're way too busy. Very, very... 
poignant way to say it. It's yeah. it's pragmatism run amok. I think you and I did an episode about pragmatism. Go listen to the episode on pragmatism. It'll do good. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this is the problem is we care. I, my exact words to Cameron, we were talking about this this morning. I said, if you put Ed Litton in the room with me, I would tell him he's a worthless fraud and he needs to resign from both his presidency and his pastorate. Yeah. In my mind, he's nothing but a middle-aged, untucked shirt, skinny jean-wearing fraud. Who cares more about what the world thinks than not enough about what the Bible thinks? Yeah. Not because I'm better than him, but because he's proven himself to be unqualified for the job. I agree. I agree. You can't sit there and say that you are who you are when you're using other people's things. Well, I mean, One of the things that bothers me, and I think you're right, Cameron. I think you're right. But one of the things that bothers me is this slippery slope that we seem to be on mm-hmm. as an organization and, and how they allow language yes. in, in some of the resolutions that they're passing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like a toehold, okay, or, or uh, uh, your foot in the door like a salesman analogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got their foot in the door, and now we're going to address this later because they've already left the door open for this. And we all yeah. know later never comes, right. ever. Right. No, because so we're, what, we're, what it's becoming is a mere Christianity denomination organization it's not technically a denomination it's, it's an organization it's well it is and it should be because <clears throat> yes it is this is going to be one of my recommendations to the church is that we have for years used the baptist faith and message as our doctrinal statement and i said when i taught the class on sunday mornings going through the baptist faith and message that it's not a doctrinal statement it's a statement of cooperation you know what we need to do as a church we need to tighten up our doctrinal statement because it's not sufficient as a statement of belief and teaching it is sufficient as a statement of cooperation, but it is insufficient as a statement of who we are as Christians walking in the world. Right. Well, I think something needs to be defined. Who are we cooperating with? Exactly. Are yeah. we cooperating with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, or are we cooperating with, like you just said, the world? Uh-huh. And I don't think, and I don't think the organization of the SBC at large is going to do that. Mm-hmm. Which means we, as a church, needs to, we need to do that work. And we need to set our boundaries a lot tighter. That's why we're autonomous. Agreed. But that means as an autonomous body, we need to set our boundaries a lot tighter than they're currently set. Otherwise, we're not doing any better. And that's something we're going to have to do before this year is out. we got to tighten up the language of our congregation because our statement of cooperation is not sufficient to deal with stuff like this. It's allowing this. And that's to your point. It's allowing too much of this, which is why I said the, the foundations were laid three years ago for this convention to split. And while I think they've righted the ship somewhat, I'm only saying that because I see people still caring when they go to the meetings. Yeah. I'm not sure how much longer that's going to continue because I don't think there's any means or mechanism by which anything in the ship can actually be steered. So more people care about steering the ship, but I'm not sure you can actually steer it. I'm not sure that it doesn't matter how many people you get on board. I'm not sure anything can actually be changed because I think, like you said, there's too much there's too much ambiguity that's written into law of the organization, and there's too much wishy-washiness that passes for sound doctrine, which is why Phillips, Craig, and Dean led worship at the convention a few years ago while still pastoring Oneness Pentecostal churches Yeah. because they could affirm the Baptist faith and message because as Oneness Pentecostals who deny the Trinity, modalists, they read the Baptist faith and message statement on the Trinity and said, yeah, we have no problems with that. Because it's not, it's not robust and tight enough. So now Oneness Pentecostals, as long as they say, well, we have no problems with that statement, that's the issue. Yeah. And I made mention of that when we went through the Trinitarian section of the Baptist Faith and Message in that class. I said, this is not sufficient because this allows for things like the ice water 
you know, steam, steam example and for the, the, the lit match example or for the triangle example or the, the sun and the light and the heat example. You could affirm all of those by reading Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Mm-hmm. It is not robust enough as a Trinitarian document. And that becomes the issue. And I think this is going to be true for the denomination as a whole because this is what the world does. In the Southern Baptist Convention, the last 40 years, well, the last 25 years, has been way too concerned with what the world thinks and has fallen into pragmatism. Again, the father of modern American Christian pragmatism, well, one of them, is an SBC pastor. Well, one thing is for sure. These situations... What's his his face out in California? Just name one right out of my head. Bill Hybels in Chicago with Willow Creek was one founding father, and the other one is um, Saddleback. Oh, Rick, yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick Warren. Warren. Yeah. Rick Warren. Saddleback is an SBC church. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, how do you get a denomination that has Rick Warren and Saddleback, Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church, mm-hmm. and, and David Platt are all oh, part of the same guy. denomination? Oh, that guy, Stephen. Oh, my God. He's an SBC he, pastor. He's, SBC. he's no an SBC way. pastor. I yeah. I never guess that. He, he's right um, I want to say Perry Noble's state. church was SBC. Oh, yes, it was. Goodness. Perry Noble's. Matt Chandler's church gives to the SBC, so mm-hmm. they're an SBC church. Yeah, wrap your brain around that those the guys are all in the preach. same organization. Are... Al Moeller, Rick Warren, and Stephen Furtick are in the same denomination. How does that happen? Steve Furtick is such a heretic. Yeah, but how yes. does that happen? He's a fuzzy bug. A heretic. That's that's what yeah that's that's our term. They're fuzzy bugs. <laughs> fuzzy bugs. <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah. It happens because our statement of faith is not robust. And what well, I'm saying is we got to do something about that. Well, that, that's the good thing that's come out of this whole situation is mm-hmm. that we're able to look at ourselves, you know, our congregation, our statement of faith, and we say, well, we need to clear this up because it, it's starting to get fuzzy everywhere. And we don't want to be fuzzy. We want to be exactly. We want to be right okay. on. Yes, we do. Go back. James warns you to do what. To be wise, uh-huh. how? Not like the world that's sent back and forth. Both Paul and Jesus tell you to do what? Anchor in. Solid, firm foundation. They're all on the same thing. The world does its this and that. We do what God yeah. says. Yeah. We don't borrow. We don't steal. We do what God says. Why? Because we have the wisdom of God. Why? Because we have the knowledge of God. Why? Because we have scripture that we can read, understand, and apply. And if we're not willing to do that work individually... See, if the pastor of your church is not willing to do that work to teach you, you why no, will you do yeah. that work in your own Christian living? You have no example. You have no reason to do the same thing. It's like the the Bible conference I'm listening. It's a women's conference online. It's on YouTube. It's live. Mm-hmm. It starts around 8.30 every morning and ends at a, about 11 this week. So it's halfway through. It's called Open Hearts in a Closed World. And is for women because it's a women preachers, well, not preachers, but women speakers who are talking to other women and it's online for other women. And one of the main things that they're talking about is how you have to do the work. You have to be women of sound doctrine because just as the world itself is throwing out all of their mess, then you've got a whole other subculture of feminism, that is, mm-hmm. again, destroying the, the foundations of the family and women in general. And how are you going to fight yourself and keep yourself grounded? You've got to be doctrinally sound. You can't let these other women who are also plugged into the world be telling us what's going on and how to live. And it's killing us. Mm-hmm. It is destroying everything we know biblically about women, womanhood and, and um. And manhood. I mean, so yeah, you have to, everywhere that I watch, every topic, every, 
YouTube video that I watched, that's the biggest thing is they keep telling you, you've got to get in the word. You've got to preach it. You've got to read it, understand it. And if you don't understand it, you've got to find somebody who does and make sure you understand it. And if your preacher's standing up there not even doing the work himself, how dare he tell the congregation to do the same thing? Well, you can't lead people farther than where you are. No, you can't. And if you're not doing the work, this is why I keep reading books and why I keep studying and keep trying to grow. Because if I'm not willing to do the work for me, why should I expect anybody else to do the work? And just because J.D. Greer said it doesn't make it right. No, and it doesn't. And just because Tim Keller preached it doesn't make it right. As a matter nope. of fact, the way he's gone the last few years, when Tim Keller says he may want to run screaming from the room. Exactly. You might want to <laughs> so recheck. to yeah. not do the work is to be unable. Look, you've been in rooms with me before. People will ask me all sorts of random questions that I have answers for. Because uh-huh. I've spent the time to study and learn and think through these things. Because it bugs me as their pastor to not have answers. Yeah. That annoys me. I get that. It's the same thing as, as being a mom, so as to, being a parent. To, to, to not do the answer, work, I to do not work. do the work is to say, I don't care to answer your questions. I don't care to teach. I don't care to lead. Mm-hmm. Where are we going? And the answer is nowhere good. Yeah. Very fast. <laughs> what have we learned here today, children? It ain't good. The gospel, (laughs) the message of Christ, the word of God is the cure, regardless of the disease. Yes, it is. We cannot stand for nothing as God's people. Mm -mm. We have to be grounded, and we have to be willing to be hated by the world. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care what they like. We do what God says. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can find all the fun stuff you want there. You know the drill. (sighs) Um, I don't know. I think we're. I think we've summed up the meeting, right? Time to move on to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. Return to so. our world of theology and actually making sense of Scripture and applying the deep truths rightly. Okay. That'll go. be the plan. So that is what we will endeavor to do again next Wednesday. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.